if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 23rd chapter, the book of uh, Jeremiah, as we continue our study through the word. You will remember that Jeremiah has been speaking the doom of Jerusalem and how it was sealed. And, and as he gives this message, you'll remember that now there was great opposition to that message. There were the false prophets and the false shepherds that were declaring peace and prosperity and that God's presence in the city guaranteed that no enemy could ever march successfully against uh, Jerusalem. And, and though judgment had come to the southern kingdom to, or to the northern ten tribes, uh, the southern kingdom felt as if it was impregnable because of the temple of God. They had God's temple, and it was God's temple built by Moses' design, the tabernacle in the wilderness. They knew that they were God's people, and, and they felt that having the temple there basically kept them protected. But God was telling them that the proximity of them to the temple had nothing to do with the relationship with him. And they had lost uh, the relationship with God. They were not obeying the commandments. They weren't seeking to worship the true and the living God. They had become self-indulgent and self-focused. They wanted their carnal life to be blessed uh, by the presence of the temple. And yet there was uh, no manifestation of a heart of worship or a life of worship. It was corrupt from the top all the way down. Good King Josiah had had reforms and they had made great steps, but in Josiah's uh, passing, the successive kings had, had reverted back to the idolatry that had been there in the nation itself. And, and so we are going to see here in these chapters, chapter 23 and chapter 24, we are really going to see once again Jeremiah bringing a message against the false shepherds. The importance of good shepherds, you will remember when Jesus was commissioning Peter and he was restoring them there at the Sea of Galilee after Peter had failed him. He asked him three times, do you love me? And you'll remember that after each of the affirmations, Jesus would say, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. And, and so you, you see the, the shepherd care over God's flock. But rather than having good shepherds uh, over the nation of Israel, instead they were using their position for self-indulgence uh, and no longer were they upholding righteousness, caring for the flock of God's people. And, and so Jeremiah is going to speak a word against these shepherds. In verse 1, 23rd chapter, it, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. What an opening line. Woe to the shepherds, a pronouncement of woe from God, but to the shepherds, and, and listen, who scatter 
the sheep of my pasture. We're the sheep of his pasture. We are gods and children. And, and a shepherd's job is to keep the flock together and to drive out any of the wolves or, or any of the, the, the other attackers that would divide the thieves and, uh, and the ravenous dogs and all to keep them away from the flock. The picture here is that it's not the, the dogs or the wolves uh, or the thieves. It's the shepherds themselves that are now terrorizing the flock and scattering gods and people. And, and so this incredible opening, verse 2, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, uh, says the Lord. The Lord says to him, you're not taking care of the flock, so I'm going to take care of you for not taking care of the flocks. In other words, he is going to bring judgment now against them for their irresponsibility. God had entrusted them to be good shepherds, to lead them to righteousness, to care for them and feed them. But instead, uh, they have not been doing that. And so the shepherds now deserve the punishment because of the evil that they had done. In Ezekiel chapter 34, there is also the word of the Lord that comes against the, the shepherds uh, of uh, Israel. And, and so woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? But you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. And so uh, a tremendous judgment uh, against the, these uh, shepherds uh, here. In verse 3, Jeremiah says, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. So if God is going to judge these evil shepherds and if he is going to remove them, then who are the shepherds uh, going to be then? And we see that Jeremiah answers that in question that first of all, God himself is going to be the, the good shepherd that is going to go and gather them back together again from all the countries. And secondly, that God would raise up new shepherds over them, faithful shepherds, ones who would tend and care for the people the way that God intended and and so, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness uh, in the earth. Now, you remember that Jehoiachin, that there, he, 
his lineage had been cut off. He had been cursed and that not one of his descendants would sit upon the throne. And here we see that there is going to be the lineage of David that will sit upon the throne, but not through Jehoiachin. He will raise up another from the house of David and, and a king shall reign and prosper. We see that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment here of this prediction. As king, he is going to rule wisely. He is going to execute judgment and righteousness uh, in the earth. He will do what is just and what is right. In contrast with the condemnation of Jehoiachin. In his days, verse 6, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety will dwell safely now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness and and so here we see Christ in his first coming the final fulfillment though of this prophecy awaits his second coming and and so the nation is going to be gathered together from the four corners of the earth. We have seen that take place. God is the one that gathered together the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. All of Israel is gathered together in its nation. And they have come from all the continents on the face of the earth. He has brought them back and repopulated them into the nation. It's an amazing thing. When you go over to Israel and visit with the people over there, how God has been bringing them back to their nation. And they don't even know why. They're not coming back to get ready for the Messiah. They're not coming back with any sense of, uh, of worshiping God. And in fact, they are a very secular nation over there. They, they have the Orthodox, the Hasidic Jews, but for the most part, it is, it is very secular. But there is something that is compelling them to return back to the nation of Israel. They just feel this longing. They just feel this calling to come back to Israel. And, and God has brought them back. He is the one now that has gathered them and has repopulated the, the nation. And we see that Christ ultimately is going to be the shepherd, the good shepherd now that is going to rule in righteousness. And he is the one who will sit upon the throne of David. He is the, the branch of David that is going to rule in righteousness. And, and we see the stage being set right before our very eyes. In our lifetime, in our generation, these things are taking place. It's exciting because for 2,000 years, the, the, the nation of Israel ceased to, to exist. And so there, there was no prophetic clock moving forwards. But 1948, the nation, dry bones, Ezekiel, gathered back to, together again. Here we see Jeremiah also talking about this, regathering how God himself is going to regather the nation that has been scattered. And, uh, and so uh, exciting times that we are living in. The name of this coming king will be the Lord, our righteousness. How glorious is it going to be to worship the Lord? and all of his power.
power and authority and majesty when he comes, when, when we will see him and be seen by him and, and how glorious when he returns and, and puts his feet here upon this earth. Not as a suffering servant, this time as a king of kings. This time as a Lord of Lords. This time to rule in righteousness. And, and righteousness will be upon the whole earth. How awesome will that be when righteousness is going to be upon the whole earth? And we're going to experience that. The one thing that history has shown us, the one thing is that man cannot rule over man. Man was never meant to rule over man. Power corrupts, and invariably when you ascend into authority and power, there is corruption that will take place at various different levels. But in Jesus Christ, he will rule in absolute perfect righteousness over there. And the description of that is so exciting. The lion is going to lie down with the with the lamb. How glorious. And, and wars will be a thing of past. No more wars. No more nations contending with other nations over imaginary boundaries and, and over people and, and taxes and, and rights. And, but the whole world is going to dwell together in, in righteousness. You say, imagine world peace. And it's like, yes. When Jesus Christ rules in righteousness, there will be world and peace. It's like, coexist. Yes, when Jesus Christ rules over the face of the earth, all men will get along. All nations uh, uh, will be bound together underneath his power and his um, absolute um, authority. How glorious. And so Jeremiah, when he is talking to the corruption, to the wickedness that now is within the priests and within the, the leaders and the kings and and all he is pointing towards the time when, uh, when there is going to be the king of righteousness. Not just one who will rule in righteousness, but he is the absolute authority over all righteousness. And, and so this glorious time, so judgment is going to come, but there is a future in a hope. God always gives us a future and a hope. Amen? And in our lives, that ultimately is the theme in each and every one of your lives. I don't care how bad of a day. Anybody have a bad day today? I don't care how bad your day was today because listen to this. You're one day closer to heaven. <laughs> so mark one more day off of that and say you are this much closer to standing in the presence of God Almighty and experiencing his glory and his goodness. And so we have that future and we have that in hope. Now, judgment is coming. Difficulty is coming upon the nation. But there is a hope behind that. Yes, they're going to be taken into captivity. But guess what? They're going to be brought back. They're going to be exalted. And the Messiah is still going to rule in righteousness. And so we see here, though, they have not been faithful. God is faithful. Amen. And he's faithful to fulfill his word. And his word says that out of the root of David, uh, from the branch of David, the righteous, the king of righteousness is going to come. Now, Jehoiachim, a wicked king. And God says, through your offspring, you're not going to have the privilege now of being in the lineage of the Messiah and you are cut off. But you'll remember that David had been promised that 
from his loins, his offspring, there is going to come the Messiah. And, and so it's not going to come from Jehoiachin. It will come through a, a different path. And, and so we see this, this incredible hope of the future of the nation of Israel even mixed in with the judgment and the message that he has to bring to the nation of their unfaithfulness and their unprofitableness right now. In verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. The nation's identity had been God, through Moses, had led them uh, out of bondage and into the nation. That God had delivered them out of bondage and had led them into the Holy Land. He says that that identity is going to be eclipsed with a new identity. And that new identity is that the nation is going to be regathered together, rebirthed, if you will, from all of the countries of the world. And that will be their new identity now. That God has regathered them and made them a, a nation. And this is the very prophecy that, that we have seen fulfilled uh, now in our lifetime, in my lifetime. And so Jeremiah now is going to turn from addressing the kings uh, to speak against the, the prophets here. He says in verse 9, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. And all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. And the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. The land was in drought and the reason for the drought was because it was a judgment from God upon the sin of the nation. But we see that the false prophets were declaring that the drought had nothing to do with God's displeasure upon the nation. And God is completely content to, with the nation. And, and here we see that, that now Jeremiah, he says that, you know, you, you're, you are misrepresenting God. And you're not handling the, the holy words uh, of God. To declare, thus saith the Lord, he's happy with your sin, was an abomination now and upsetting to Jeremiah as he sees now these false prophets. He says in verse 11, for both prophet and priest are profane. What a sad judgment upon the spiritual health of the nation. When the prophets, those who are speaking forth the word of God, and the priests, those who are assisting people in the, in the course of worship to God, when, when those that are responsible for aiding, helping, instructing, and teaching in things of God, are they themselves... Uh, profane before God he says yes in my house I have found their wickedness says the Lord 
And therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall in them for I will bring disaster on them the year of their punishment and says uh, the Lord. We see that the priests and the prophet, it says that they are profane. In that word that's used there means godless. It doesn't mean that they weren't religious. They were quite religious. But it means to be polluted. They were polluted uh, in their functioning within their religious offices. And so they're defiled and they are defiling uh, the land. And God says that he is going to bring judgment uh, upon them because of their sin. He says, and I have seen, verse 13, folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. You remember there in Samaria, the northern ten tribes up on Mount Carmel when Elijah calls for all the prophets of Baal to enter into a contest between him and God and to call down fire upon a sacrifice. And he had the thousands of priests and holy men unto Baal all assemble the sacrifice and and then you'll remember that they got to go first and they're cutting themselves and and they're calling upon Baal to call down fire from heaven and uh, and you remember that Elijah chides them he says maybe you guys need to yell louder I don't think your God can hear you you know today and uh, and so they are you know all the more and he says maybe maybe your God is busy right now and and the word that he uses is busy like in the latrine and in the you know maybe your God is busy you know uh, and that's why he can't hear you right now or attend to you and you know and Elijah is chiding them and and then after they have been trying to call down fire for hours and hours finally Elijah steps uh, forwards and he invites the true and the living God to bring fire down from heaven prove this day who who is the Lord who is God and fire comes down and you remember that the people then go and they capture all of the false prophets and and kill them but the false prophets of Baal in the northern ten tribes had become the dominant and worship and God had been pushed to the side he here Jeremiah referencing this and, and says, For I have seen the folly in the prophets of Samaria, God speaking. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. And also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. And they also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. You remember the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. The degeneration of culture. They were degenerating as they were expressing how progressive they were. That they were advancing and being liberated and and yet we see that in God's eyes they were not heading up they were heading down Sodom and Gomorrah became such a cesspool of 
uh, of carnality, of self-indulgence, of sin, depravity, and wickedness. Whatever they felt like doing, they did. It was absolute moral lawlessness. And everybody just accepted the moral lawlessness that was there within those cities and and you remember how Sodom and Gomorrah vexed even righteous a lot. And Abraham was up in the hill country. And, and finally their wickedness had, had hit the tipping point. And, and God sends the angels to come and to destroy now Sodom and Gomorrah. He says that the, that the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are now once again prevalent, that they are moving forwards into my own people. And, and rather than holding them accountable, they strengthen the hands of evildoers. They don't confront evil. Jesus said it a different way. He said, what happens when the salt loses its saltiness? When no longer there is a standard of righteousness, when my people will not declare sin as, as sin. The minute that we will not call sin, sin, we've lost our saltiness. The minute that we say whatever is good for you is good for you and I'll do what is good for me and, and, and we don't want to confront other people. We don't want them to feel bad about who they are, the lifestyle, the decisions that they are making. The minute that we believe that, uh, that there is a privacy of a person's life and that they can do whatever they want with it and we are not going to stand upon the universal truth of sin we've lost. Our saltiness. God calls us to love, but God never calls us to compromise. Amen? Amen. And we can never confuse the difference in between those two. We always want to stand for righteousness in love. Amen? In gentleness, in meekness, in humility, but firmly. Jesus never once uh, ever bent. Jesus never ever looked the other way. Jesus never ever... allowed unrighteousness to go unchallenged. And yet, at the same time, he was welcomed by tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't offensive to them, though he didn't compromise in the least bit to gain acceptance whatsoever. And so we have that model of Christ in, in front of us to stand for righteousness, in a culture that wants nothing to do with righteousness, wants nothing to do with the, with the order that God has established for society and the roles of men and women. It is just amazing to me how the issue that is in the courts and that is in the news throughout our, our nation is whether transgender men can now compete with women as women in women's sports. And, uh, and so this is the, the, where the legal battles are, are going. And it's so interesting because they will say that it is the advancement uh, of women and, and yet uh, to have men compete against women as uh, women 
uh, is now such an injustice to women. And, and so rather than elevating them, it is uh, removing uh, now the elevation of women as women. And, and so the, the very idea of whether you're a man or a woman, in the beginning, God created them male and what? female he created them and so nowhere does it say that he created them and they get to decide uh, if they feel like a man uh, or a woman that is just not the 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 word of God and who I identify with and choosing the bathroom because of the way that I'm feeling today about myself uh, and and these kinds of things it is like okay a question that I'm always asking the pastors uh, here <laughs> is this. How crazy does crazy have to get before you say this is crazy? This is crazy. It's like the emperor's got no clothes on. No, don't tell the emperor he's got no clothes on. It's like he's got no clothes on. How crazy does it get before you acknowledge this is we have lost our way. As a nation, have we lost our way? When these are the issues that our nation is struggling with, we've lost our way. You see, if you can't get past the first few words of the Bible, you're not going to be able to move through the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, created the heavens and the the acknowledgement that God is the authority over what he has created. And he is the standard of righteousness. And we don't make the rules. And we don't establish what is right and what is wrong. God, who made it all, clearly has told us what is right and what is wrong. But when the culture takes what is right and what is wrong and pushes it into the side and then begins to adopt its own standard, starts to improve upon God's law, improve upon God's standards, progresses past the, the righteousness that, that God has established, it is anything but a progression. It will absolutely lead the nation down. Righteousness, what? exalts a nation say that with me righteousness exalts a nation and when the nation is moving away from righteousness then it's moving in the wrong direction and there's grace god gives grace i believe that we are living on grace right now the grace of god now and not bringing judgment but he gives us that grace to turn <laughs> He gives us that time to repent and to get it right and to turn back towards him. If my people who are called by my name will pray, call upon the Lord and seek his face and repent, then he will hear from heaven and he will heal the land. Here we see that the nation, though they had the temple, they had the pedigree, they had the heritage, they were God's people. They had cast God's law aside. And they were now doing whatever they wanted to do. And now God is saying that you, my people in Jerusalem are conducting themselves like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, and now Jerusalem is acting like in Sodom and, and Gomorrah, then what is going to happen to Jerusalem? If God is righteous, then he's going to apply the, the same standard of righteousness. And, and so here we see God declaring and calling the nation out for having redefined uh, uh, righteousness. And so we see here that, that he says that I have seen the folly of these prophets. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. And all of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. And so we see here that, that the course of action is going to be in judgment and and thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 16, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Listen to that. They speak a vision from their own mouth. In other words, they're just making it up as they go. They're just, it's just their own vision. It's not the vision from the Lord. It's, it's their vision. And so they commit adultery, he says. And they strengthen the hands of evil endures. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. And so that is that whatever feels good for you, you do that. We're not going to tell you. We're not going to judge you. Just whatever is in your own heart, just feel free to pursue and follow your, your own heart. And peace and prosperity, peace and, and prosperity. In verse 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? And who has marked his word and, and heard it? Here again, Jeremiah is saying, they're not hearing that from God. God's not saying those things. God is not saying you can do whatever you want and you're going to have peace and prosperity because you live in a Christian nation or because we sing patriotic songs with God's name in it. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. And the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. And, and so here we see that Jeremiah says that, that God's anger is not going to be turned back until he has completed his judgment. God speaking to the nation through Jeremiah in verse 21. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. 
I've not spoken to them. Yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. And so the importance of declaring God's standard, declaring God's standard, declaring God's standard. It is so important for us to stand upon God's standard. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? And so the, the false prophets, they under, misunderstood the nature of God. God was not a, a localized uh, God that was contained to an area or a location. He's the God of heaven and earth. There is no place that you can go that his presence is not there. And I have heard, he says, what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. And so they, they fill them with dreams, and these dreams then become the religious guides uh, to the people. They turn into the folklore, and they turn into the instruction instead of the word of God. They tell stories, make people feel good, and raise up for themselves teachers who will preach to itching ears, no longer declaring the truth of God's word. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? says the Lord. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in, in pieces? And, and so we see that, that you can have all the dreams that you want. You can have all of the visions. You can have all of the stories. And if any of it contradicts the word of God, it's rubbish. It's simply rubbish. What can compare to the word of God? But they have taken and thrown the word of God out and now are using dreams and visions and thus saith the Lord. But we see they're not using the, the word of God. We are to test everything against the word of God. Amen. We're to be so familiar with the word of God. It's the filter in our life uh, that we can judge all things that we mm, hear. There's nothing new under the sun, amen? So th there is no new philosophy. There is no new anything. If hey, hey, All of it, we see, can be tested by the word of God. Can be tested by the word of God. His word is reliable. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path and and so they had discarded it. And so here's the question. When you discard the word of God, 
When you discard the light, how do you know where you're going? Jesus said if the blind leads the blind, they both end up where? In the ditch. They both end up in the ditch. When you take the light and remove it, and now you try and walk without light, you are walking in darkness. The religious leaders uh, now were claiming to be the light. They were claiming now that their dreams and visions were what were reliable. And they were false prophecies being uttered forth from their mouths that were lies and they were telling the people to believe them and to build their life upon them. And therefore, behold, I am against the prophets. Is that surprising? <laughs> that God then is against these false prophets. The seriousness with which they are conducting themselves. Uh, says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says, behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them and therefore they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So when these people or the prophet or the priest ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall say to them, what oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priests and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. And so they, they were walking around asking, what's the, what's the word from God? What's the word from God? And, and so they were constantly asking that. And these false prophets would, would tell them what the word of the day is, what God is saying today, and would just tell them anything that they wanted to hear. And, and so they, they were now misusing the, uh, the term and the oracle of God and God told them, don't, don't even use that word anymore. An oracle is supposed to be a revelation of truth by God. But they now had profaned that, that word now. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord. Because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have sent to you saying, do not say the oracle of the Lord. We see they have misused that word so much that God's removing it now from their vocabulary. And therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and forsake you. And the city that I gave you and your fathers will cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. And so God vows uh, here to, to cast them out of his presence along with the rest of Jerusalem. In chapter 24, we have a short chapter here where, where it gives us the sign that God gives to Jeremiah and the two baskets of, uh, of figs, the, the good figs and the bad figs. And there is going to be a contrast uh, here. And the Lord showed me verse 1. And there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jochaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah with the craftsmen and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. 
And one basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. So this vision now is given to Jeremiah later in his ministry after Jehoiachin and the other leaders of Jerusalem were taken into exile by the Babylonians. And, and so here we see that there is this vision that God gives to him. And it's of these two baskets that uh, had been placed in front of the temple. Uh, and so the, the vision now had the, the, the calling to mind of the first fruits that were offered to God. So the fruit in the temple set before God. And, and then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good, and the bad, very bad, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. So we have these Wonderful figs, and then we had these rotten figs that you couldn't even eat. And again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans, for I will set my eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land and I will build them and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And so we see here that God said that the good figs now are representative of the exiles from Judah that are carried away into Babylon and and so we see that this was surprising because the, the people in Jerusalem that were still there uh, believed that it was a judgment upon those who had been taken into captivity. And, and they were the ones uh, now that were blessed. And you remember that Daniel, and Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were part of that first group that were taken into in captivity. And, and here we see that God says that, that he sent them there into captivity like good figs. They're going to be good figs. And then I will bring them back and establish them back in the land. And as the bad figs, which cannot be eaten, they are so bad. Surely thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt, I will deliver them to trouble and to all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all places where I shall drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine and the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. And, and so the poor figs now represented Zedekiah and the other survivors uh, here. And, and so they would be ridiculed and cursed wherever they uh, went. And, and God would send his instruments of judgment, sword, famine, plague, uh, until they were destroyed. These survivors that were still there in Jerusalem felt that they were the ones blessed of God, but in reality, they were going to be judged by God.
As we close our study here and move into a time of communion, we see that Jeremiah has been talking about shepherds, false shepherds, bad shepherds, corrupt shepherds, selfish shepherds, and, and all of those in contrast to the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. I want to invite the ushers to get the elements and pass them out, the worship team to come on uh, up now. And, and the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the shepherd over our soul and makes me just stop and ponder and think about how good the Lord is. Amen? Amen. How good the Lord has been in my life. The way that he leads me beside the still waters and and sheep are so skittish that they they won't drink out of moving water they won't drink out of a stream they're too afraid of the movement of the water and and all and and so he he leads us beside still waters it means he meets us right where we're at where are you at today it's where the lord wants to meet you how's your soul doing is your soul all riled the circumstances the nation the world personal stress health mm, challenges is your is your soul peaceful trusting even the midst uh, of the circumstances he makes them to lie down in green pastures he he brings them now into that mm, place of, of trust peace of rest and he's inviting you into that place tonight to come and commune with him to sit for a minute and to take the cares of this world off of your shoulders take all of your cares and just set them aside for for a moment he knows that that you have cares he knows that you have insecurities and fears and and that's natural we we don't know what tomorrow brings and, and the enemy wants to make us apprehensive of it. He wants us to be fearful of tomorrows and, and that you don't have all the answers. But God says you're not going to have the answers for tomorrow today. Amen? Amen. You're not going to have the answers for tomorrow today. Sufficient for today are the answers just for today. Look at where you are right now. You're in the house of the Lord. You're in the house of the Lord tonight. And you're worshiping the Lord and the goodness uh, of God. And God. And God wants to come alongside of you and he wants to embrace you and whisper into your ear, you're okay. I got you. It's going to be all right. I know where we're going. I know the way. And I will lead you step by step. I won't leave you. I won't run ahead of you. I'm with you. I love you. And he wanted us to stop and to know that. He told us to stop and to come to the communion table. He said to, to remember <coughs> how much you're loved. That you're loved exceedingly, abundantly. 
that your love to overflowing love that is more than we can even contain. The love that God has for you is beyond thought. Thoughts that he has are more than the hairs on your head. They're more than they can even be counted. He, he keeps his eyes on you at all times. He knows your rising's up and you're going down. He knows your thoughts before you even think them. You are loved by the creator God of the universe. And, and we get wrapped up. We get so busy. We get, and God says, then, okay, stop. I command you. you. Come to the table. Remember how blessed you are. Remember to breathe. Remember how good life is. The blessings that you have. So oftentimes we can start getting focused on our problems. We forget to see all the blessings that we have. He says, set all your burdens down. Come, breathe, enjoy my presence, my peace. <laughs> Remember, you're a child of God. Remember, you're loved. And remember that I demonstrated that to you in the greatest act of love that that there ever has or ever will be so that you might know it. That you might know it. And so may we just spend a moment reflecting on that, just absorbing his uh, love, just basking in his love. And, and may we respond in love to him. May we let him know tonight, right here, right now how much we love him where would we be without him what was our life like before him and how glorious is our life with him and in him why does snow White as snow Though my sins Were as scarlet Lord, I know Lord, I know That I'm clean And forgiven Through the power of your blood through the wonder of your love through faith in you I know that I can be white as snow snow white as snow though my sins were as scarlet Lord I know Lord I know that I'm clean and forgiven through the 
power of your blood Through the wonder of your love Through faith in you I know that I can be White as snow as they were eating Jesus took bread he blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body let's partake of the body of Christ And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup.
I have no power. <laughs> but God, you have all power. <laughs> and Father, you overcame. And Jesus, you overcame. Lord, thank you for loving us, rescuing us, saving us, washing us, cleansing us. Thank you for leaving the 99 to come and find each and every one of us. Thank you for walking with us in the good times and bad, in hills and valleys and seasons in our life. The richness of your friendship, the love, the care, the concern that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for reminding us to come to the communion table, to be reminded uh, of just how much you love us. And so, God, may we keep that love in the forefront. May we live like we're loved. May we know that we're loved. And may we go and love others with your love. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen, amen and amen.